Amen. God is good. Those are kind words, Robin. Thank you. I'll give you a $20 at the church. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I want to piggyback a little on what uh, Sister Albertine was sharing and give a testimony of something similar that I went through years ago. Um, I was, uh, I'm self-employed. I'm a truck driver, so if I don't work, I don't eat. Um, and I was in a season where I basically hadn't been working uh, and or worked very, very little. <clears throat> And so I had like $1,700 worth of bills, and they were past due, including my, it was like my rent and some other bills. And it was like, they were past due like yesterday, like it has to get paid like right now. So when I got paid that Friday, my check was like $450. So when you got $1,700 in bills and you got $400, how many of you know the math doesn't equate? It's just, you know, I need a miracle. And so I was listening to a, to a preacher that weekend, and he was saying, uh, he said, when what you have in your hand is not enough to be your harvest, make it your seed. And it just struck me because I was thinking like, man, I can't give this week. I need this. But that wasn't even going to, that wasn't even scratching the surface of my bills. So in faith that Sunday, I, I just said, I'm going to give the whole thing. I'm going to just give the whole thing. And I was kind of scared. I ain't going to lie to you. You know, it wasn't like, I'm believing God. There it is. It was like, like right after I did it, like, uh, can the ushers come back, please? Can, can y'all bring that offering back? I might have got presumptuous or something. And, uh, you know, what was done was done. And uh, so the following Monday, now how many of you know, this was like in 96, 96, 97. Now they have e-tax. So when you file your taxes, you get your tax return like right away. They didn't have that back in 96. How many of you remember those days where it take two, three months to get your tax return? I had just filed my tax return maybe two weeks ago, and I never got my tax return quicker than six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks. You got to call the IRS. Can I get my tax return, please? So I wasn't even counting on that or banking on it or praying, God, let that, you know, be, you know, let it hurry up and come. Make a long story short. That Monday, after I did took the step of faith, I got my tax return way earlier for $2,200. So not only did I have enough to pay my bills, I had enough to buy Christmas presents, and God came through. So I'm not, we're not making that a principle, but sometimes God will challenge you to do something crazy. You know, so I'm not saying, you got to always do that. Just, you know, don't pay your bills and just, I'm not saying that at all. Don't, you know. All I'm saying is sometimes God will have you do something crazy. And I saw it firsthand in my life. God came through for me. And Albertine, he's going to come through for you. And you're going to testify about it. Amen. If you would go to the book of Hosea chapter 2. Every time we talk about the minor prophets, we get scared. Don't get scared. The minor prophets are lovely. It's not just gloom, doom, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill her and I'm going to kill them and they're going to kill each other. And It's not that. It's a message of hope. It's a message of God in the middle of the worst rebellion possible, still loving his people. In the middle of tremendous tragedy, to the point where the children of Israel, God's chosen people, were actually sacrificing their babies sacrificing them to false gods, doing, committing lewd acts. And in the midst of that, God loving his people, giving them promises, 
calling them back to himself. That's what the prophets is all about. And so today as we get in the word of God, let's bow our heads and pray. If you would join me in prayer. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor and praise. Lord, we trust in you today. Father, we trust in the fact that, God, your word is yea and amen. Your word is everlasting. Lord, heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. Lord, your word is firm. It stands in the heavens eternally. Father, your word has the power to bring life, to create out of nothing. Your word has the power to, to transform lives, to take a sinner and make them a saint. Your word has the power to go into darkness and say, let there be light. And so today, Father, it is not man's preparation. It is not my ability to communicate or, or our ability to listen. But it is your word that we look to and we trust in. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hosea chapter 2. And we're going to read, starting in verse 5, we're going to read it through just to get an overview, and then we're going to go point by point. Hosea chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. Talking about Israel. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness, so now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bells. She decked herself with rings and jewelry. And went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me. My master. I want to go real quick and just glean some things out of this passage as we just read. In verse 5, it says, Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. You know, Israel would worship idols. They bowed down to statues. They bowed down to statues and rocks and and trees, and they worshiped the air, and they, you know, they did all these things, and God was accusing them for worshiping false gods. And we look at that, and we say, that's stupid. I don't know anyone that does that. Maybe you do, but I don't. I don't know people that actually bow down to, like, 
you know, rocks and trees. I don't know anybody like that. I think of that as like, man, that's stupid. Why would you bow down to a rock or a tree or worship something that is not a God? To us, that's so foreign. But for them, it wasn't foreign. Israel was surrounded by all these pagan nations where they all did this. They all worshipped trees and they all worshipped idols and they worshipped false gods and images made of birds and made of humans and all this craziness that they bowed down to. And God is saying that they went after their lovers. Now, we, like I said, we think that's dumb, but you got to realize they used to, people actually believed that if you worship these gods, they all had power. So you had the god of agriculture or the god of, the god of fertility or the god of this or the god of that. And so they worshipped them with, the, they thought that by worshipping this god, my money's going to increase. If I worship this God, I'm going to get more crops. If I worship this God, I'm going to get more lambs from my, from, my, from, my, from my livestock. I could just imagine they would probably be walking around in their everyday life, marketplace, walking down the road, and they would probably talk to people like that. And they would probably tell them, look, you need to, you worship this Jehovah God, but look at me, look, at, look how good I'm doing. See, I worship the God of of, of, of agriculture and because of that look at my crops I mean your crops are kind of skimpy there but look at my crops you need to come over here and worship my God and so there was probably pressure from all around them to worship all these false gods and they went after these false gods even though God told them don't worship false gods but they, cause, and they did it because they thought that that was their provision they did it because they thought if I do this I'm going to get ahead in life I can't have kids, so if I worship this God of fertility, I can have kids. I don't have any crops, so if I worship this God of agriculture, maybe I'll get some crops. And they ran after these lovers. God God said that they were lovers to them. And God says in verse 6, Therefore I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. So here's God watching the children of Israel worshiping these false gods. And here they are, they're probably getting crops. Things are probably turning around in their lives. They're probably seeing some benefit in that. And then they're probably doing it more and more and more. And God's like, you know what? I'm going to wall you in. I'm going to put thorn bushes in your path. I'm going to wall you in. And what does it say in verse 7? So all these things, God begins to orchestrate circumstances in their lives to turn them back to him. Things probably begin to fall apart in their life. Things begin to go wrong in their life. God's intention is that they would come back to him, but instead in verse 7 it says, she will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. She continues to look. She continues to go in that path. How many of you know that there's times where we are serving God uprightly, we're going after God, we're doing the right thing, and there's obstacles in our path, and it's the devil. It's the devil. And God is wanting us to stay steadfast, to stay faithful, to continue down the path that he's chosen for us, to not let the obstacle move us. But how many know there's other times when the obstacles are put there by God? It says in verse 6, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. Sometimes when we begin to go astray, God puts circumstances, he puts things in our life that are meant to call us back to him. 
You know, you cannot cast out God. I say to the mountain, be moved. If it's of the devil, it'll move. But if God put the mountain, you can talk to it all you want. It ain't moving. Remember uh, Balaam? He wants to curse the children of Israel. And an angel blocking, is blocking his path. He's on his donkey. And the donkey sees the angel and he stops. And he starts beating the donkey. He's like, you need to move. And, you know, and he tries to go around. And, and the angel of the Lord is blocking him. He's like, you're going down the wrong path. I'm trying to block your path. But you're trying to go around it. Finally, the donkey spoke to him and he said, why are you beating me? (laughs) Have I ever done this before? Right? And sometimes we're going down a path that God is saying, I don't want that path. That path is, is, you need to come back to me. You got to come back to my heart. And, and, And God puts obstacles in our path. He, he's the one that walls us in. And a lot of the time, his intention is always that we will come back to him. But most of the time, our natural inclination, our first inclination is not to come back to God. It's to, to continue in that path even more. I run a small business. It's very difficult to run a small business, especially when you first start it. Three, for the first three to five years, you're not going to make profit. It's going to be hard. You're not going to have a life. You guys know the story. You've heard it. And so, it's so it's difficult. There's times where I have, everything falls on me. You know, everything falls on leadership, on, on the servants, on parents. Everything falls on leadership. So the decisions I make are going to affect me, my family, my workers, their families, my customers. Decisions that can cost me or my customer thousands or tens of thousands of dollars one way or another. These are not small decisions. And I'm always pressed with them. And when I'm in these positions, in these difficult places, my natural inclination is not to get on my knees and say, God, help me. You're the one that can do this. It's always to, okay, how do I fix this? I got to fix this. I guess five days a week is not enough. I got to work six days a week. I got to work six days a week. And I guess 50 hours a week is not enough. I got to work 60 hours a week. We got to make this right. Sometimes in our relationships, maybe you're in a relationship with, a, with someone of the opposite sex and things aren't going good. And so you're like, you know what, I need to spend more time with them. I got to, you know, work less, not spend as much time. My family can't be at church as much because I need to be with them. And, you know, I got to let them know that I love them and they love me and all this. And we're figuring out ways to fix these situations instead of going to God. And when we get in that place, pretty soon we begin to kind of just stray away a little. And God begins to put obstacles in our path to get our attention. And usually what we do is not, okay, God, I get it. Let's get back. Let's get back. All right, all right. I can't get distracted. Usually we continue to go down that path like the children of Israel did. But it says she will, in verse 7, she will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. She says, oh, shoot, things are happening, but let me continue to chase after her. But they, they can't, she can't find her lovers. She can't catch her lovers. A lot of times we try to fix things in our own strength, and the more we try to fix it, the worse it gets. It gets worse. Things don't change. It seems like it's one obstacle after another obstacle after another obstacle after another obstacle, and we're trying to put it in our own hands and do things, and pretty soon what's happening is we're straying, and God is calling us back to himself. In verse 8 it says, She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and oil, 
who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. She's going after these gods. Israel's worshiping all these gods thinking that if I worship these gods, my crops are going to go good. If I do this, things are going to change. If I make these sacrifices, these things are going to happen. But pretty soon, as we begin to go down that path, we begin to forget God. And God is wanting us to realize that He is our provision. That He is the source of our joy. That He is the source of our happiness. That you know what? If God wants to, He fed the prophet out of, he fed the prophet from a widow. He brought birds to bring him carne asada. God can do it. God does not need our help. God does not need our help. He raises the dead. He splits seas. He brings, waters out, he brings water out of rocks. God is wanting us to acknowledge, you know what? Yes, we need to have strong work ethic. Yes, we need to pursue education. Yes, we need to be excellent at everything we do. Yes, we need to strive to build strong relationships with one another, with our co-workers, with our wives, with our children, with the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Yes, but not at the expense of forsaking God or forgetting Him. We have Martha, we have Mary. Martha was serving the Lord. It says she was getting everything ready for him. So Jesus and his disciples come over and she's cooking, man. There's, I have a friend uh, that their mom, uh, some of you know her, Sister Nona, they used to come to this church before. Man, when you go to her house, she puts together a spread, man. It could just be two of their son's friends. It could just be me and Carlos. And go to their house and she'll put a spread like there's 20 people. Enchilada, shrimp, steak, pork, pasta. And it's like, it's just us too. And she's getting after it, man. And she takes pride in everything. She puts it out, puts out napkins. I mean, she does it right. She does it right. And, 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 hold on, I lost my point. I lost my point. So anyway, that's how God is. That's how God is with us. He puts out a spread for us. He's the one that takes care of us. He's the one that lavishes us with his gifts. It's not us. It's not our own power. It's not our ability. It's God's. And what happens? They continue to go down that path. They still have not acknowledged that God is the one who is providing for them. They still have not acknowledged that God is the one that is going to make things right in their lives. In verse 13, it says, I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the bells. She decked herself with rings and jewelry. And went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. She's doing all these things, Israel, worshiping these gods, going. Now, we're not doing that. We don't do that. I don't think anyone here that I know does that, you know, or completely left God and are just serving themselves. I don't. But under the new covenant, God is going after the root. We think of backsliding as, oh, they don't come to church no more and they're selling drugs again on the corner. We think of backsliding as, oh, yeah, man, they're, back, they're doing drugs again. Yeah, they're strung out again on heroin like they used to be. Or, yeah, they went back to their relationship sleeping around. That's what we think of backsliding. But under the new covenant, Jesus takes it deeper. He said, you've heard it, don't commit adultery. 
the Pharisees, the religious Jews of that day, they probably thought, I don't commit adultery. I've never cheated on my wife. But Jesus is like, you've heard, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. He's going after the root. I don't want you just not to sleep around. I want you to not even think about sleeping around. He says, you've heard it said, don't kill. But I tell you, if you're angry at your brother, you've already murdered. What's the root of, of murder? Anger. They did me wrong. I'm, man, I'm going to kill him. Anger's the root of murder. And Jesus says, if you're angry at your brother, you've already murdered him. Jesus comes to cut the root. Backsliding is not just completely leaving God. Backsliding can be at the root level. I, don't, I, I, I haven't smoked weed or drank or slept around with anyone since I got saved. But I've backslidden. But still coming to church. Still serving God. Still reading my Bible. If that makes any sense. You can read your Bible, go to church and be backslidden. Yeah. Still paying my tithes and offerings. It says that they forgot him. And let's take it, let's go deeper. We're not talking about sin here. We're talking about things that distract us. We're not like Israel. We're not worshiping other gods. We're not out there smoking weed and sleeping around and defrauding people. But a lot of the times we get distracted. We just get distracted by work. We get distracted by relationships. We get distracted by pursuits or dreams or, or ministry. You could be doing ministry and, you know, like, like I said, like Martha, she's serving Jesus, but she's not sitting at his feet listening to him. I love the first question in, first, in, in John, the first question of discipleship. In John, when they meet Jesus, it says that, they, that, that he was right after he got baptized and he walked away from John the Baptist, two disciples saw him. And they began to follow him. Two of John's disciples. You know the story, right? Jesus goes. He gets baptized. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The other two disciples are like, I'm going to follow him. They begin to follow behind him. Jesus turns around and sees them. And they ask him, Lord, where are you staying? That's the first question of discipleship. Lord, where are you staying? Like Mary where are you staying? I just want to hear you, Lord. What are you doing? I want to be close to you. That is what it means to be a disciple. To be close to him. To hear his beating heart. To acknowledge him in everything. He says they didn't acknowledge that I'm their provider. To always acknowledge, God, you're the one. You're the one that is for me. You're the one that loves me. You're all I have. You're all I want. You're everything, God. You're everything. Look what God does in verse 14. So God accuses the children of Israel for departing from him, to worship other gods, and for forgetting him. And a lot of the times we think when we get to those places where we kind of begin to go astray, where our hearts get cold towards God, where we're going through the motions, a lot of the times we beat ourselves over the head and we say, you know what, God is done with me. Am I the only one that ever feels like that? Because I feel like that a lot. Man, I know better. I've served the Lord since I was a teenager. He brought me out of the streets. He's filled me with his word and with his Holy Spirit. 
I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I should never feel, oh my God, Lord, you're done with me. Just get rid of me. And that's how we view God. And we think of God as like, I'm done with you. Isaiah, I'm done with you. You know better. You know what? Two, three times I forgave you, but now that's it, man. I got to move on. I got to move on. And that's how we think of God. But, and our circumstances are nowhere near as crazy as these people. I would venture to say none of you are doing what these people were doing. And look how God responds to them in verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. Wow. You're over here worshiping other gods, sacrificing your children to Baal, forsook me, bowing down to all these images and demons. The Bible says these images are nothing but demons. If, if God ever had a reason to say, forget you, those people would have been. But he says, no, 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 I'm going to lead you to the desert. I'm going to orchestrate things in your life so that you'll acknowledge me, so that you'll be ready to listen. And in that place, I'm going to speak tenderly to you. You know, God always speaks tenderly to us. But a lot of the times we're so distracted that we can't hear that tender voice. And so God has to orchestrate things in our life to get our attention. A lot of the times the obstacles we're going through is God trying to get our attention. Not all the time, but sometimes it is. And we have to discern, is God trying to get my attention? Or is this just something I've got to believe through and God's going to bring me on the other side? It says that he will speak tenderly to her. And look at verse 15. Therefore I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. When God gets us back to that place where we're like, yes, Lord. I heard a preacher say that the devil is God's pit bull on a, cho- on a choke chain. We get out of line, but when we're back in, he's like, get off him, boy. And then we get back in line, yes, Lord. I love that imagery because I have a dog. So a lot of the times God will use circumstances to get us back in line. Yes, Lord. Okay, yes, Lord. Like Jonah. I ain't going, Lord. Oh, you're not going. Okay. Enjoy free willy. <laughs> Enjoy free willy for three days. What happened when he spit him out? He ran to Nineveh. It says he ran. He was like, man, I got to go through the will of God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And when God, when circumstances, when God has orchestrated things in our life to bring us back, and, and please don't miss me on this. Some of the things you're going through is the devil, and you need to rebuke him. But some things could be God trying to get our attention. And when we're back in that place where we're hearing, we're like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do. Whatever, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Pretty soon, he begins to speak tenderly to you, and he begins to give you back your vineyards. The very thing you're trying to get. I'm, wor- you know, I'm, I'm working five days a week, 60, 60 hour a week. So, so now, because things aren't going right and things are all falling apart, I got to work six days a week and 70 hours a week. And things continue to fall apart. Okay, I got to work seven days a week and 80 hours, right? And God is trying to get our attention. The thing we're trying to chase, God, when we get back in line with Him, He gives us naturally what is ours. He gives us back our vineyards. 
He gives us back our vineyards. And I love this verse right here after that. It says, and I will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. Acre means trouble. You know that the things you're going through, the troubles you're going through, will be the very door you'll use to help somebody else. It'll become a door of hope. Those very struggles that you struggle with, one day you'll be able to tell somebody, bro, I've been there. You're struggling with drugs and alcohol. Bro, I've been there and God took me out of that. Or you're trying to start a small business. I'm gonna tell you, you're going through a hard time right now. Bro, I've been there. God's going to help you. Don't make the same mistakes I made. You're trying to get in ministry. Okay, let me show you some of the pitfalls that you may go through. Some of the things. We, that very thing becomes a door of hope. And this is what I love. He says, there she will sing as in the days of her youth. As in the day she came up out of Egypt. She'll sing as in the days of her youth. In the day she came out of Egypt. You know, when I first got saved, is the most glorious time of my life. I still remember it. When I first got saved, I didn't care that I didn't have any money. I didn't care that I lived in, in the back room of a basement in my dad's house. I didn't care that all my friends left me because they thought I went off the deep end. I didn't care about my clothes. I didn't care. I didn't care about nothing. I didn't care about one day I'm going to be a powerful minister. One day I'm going to have a strong business. One day I'm going to do this and do that. And I didn't care about none of that. I was just like, man, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to go to hell. I know Jesus. I was excited. I was full of joy at the simplicity of the gospel. Where he's enough. He's, man, I'm saved, bro. I'm saved, man. I'm, I'm washed in the blood. I'm washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. God says that He wants to take us back to that. Like when He brought us out of Egypt. How many of you remember that? Oh, man, it was glorious. God said, I'm going to take you back there. That's going to be your perpetual existence. Constant rejoicing in His presence. Constant rejoicing and singing. In verse 16 he says, In that day declares the Lord, You will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. All the stuff that God was doing with Israel was to get them back to his heart so that he can give them back their vineyard. So that he can cause them to sing like when they first came out of Egypt. So that they would no longer see them as see him as their master, but as their husband. Isn't God so good? That he would take so much pains to bring us to himself. To be close to him. You know, there's a difference from a master and a husband. Some of you men of God here, I know I know a lot of you men of God and you guys are great fathers. You sacrifice for your wives. You sacrifice for your kids. You would go to hell and back to provide for them. You would work two jobs. You pray for them. You believe for them. You would do anything for them. And we're sinners. How much more our husband in heaven? If we could do that as fallen men, that I'll do, man, I will work at McDonald's if I had to, to put food in my kids' mouths. I would work at McDonald's in the day and I'd jack in the box at night if I had to. To provide for my wife and my kids. And I'm a sinner, a filthy sinner. How much more God, who's holy and pure, he says, you're not going to call me master no more. You're going to call me husband. 
He's our husband. And so today, I just want to encourage you. If you feel in your heart like, like you know what, you may, maybe you strayed. Maybe school is just distracting you. School is caught, you know, school or work or relationships or ministry or whatever it is, is distracting you. It's causing you to become a Martha and not a Mary. It's taking you away. Those very, you know, it's not the bad things. A lot of times it's the good things. It's good things. There's nothing wrong with working hard for your family or trying to advance your education. Nothing wrong with that. But when those things become first, then it's time to reevaluate and get back to the heart of God. And if that's you today, God is here to tell you that he loves you, that he's your provider. Joseph did not, Joseph did not advance his life by moving up a ladder, a corporate ladder. There was no way he could have become the second most powerful man in the world in his own power. But he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. King David, this little shepherd boy, there is no way he could have become the king of Israel in his own power. It's not like one day he said, all right, this is my 10-year plan, all right? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a strong warrior, and I'm going to get in shape so I can fight battles for the king, and I'm going to enlist in the army, and then I'm going to become, you know, by the grace of God, I'm going to become king. No, he just, he just loved God, and God saw him, and he elevated him to a high place. God is able to do more for us than we can do for ourselves. In one moment, he can completely change our circumstances. In one moment. And so today I'm here to encourage you that whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through in your life, whatever it is that the enemy, or that, are, that you're just allowing to distract you, you don't have to worry about that. Just sit at God's feet. Stay close to his heart. And let God work those things out. Amen. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we give you glory. We give you honor and praise. Today we acknowledge that you're the one that lavishes on us. It says he lavishes on us the grain, the wine, and the new oil. He lavishes on us the gold and the silver. He is our husband. He is our provider. He is our source. You don't need, if you're a single person, you don't have to take things into your own hands. I heard somebody one time, they, they had been waiting for a spouse for a while. They were trying to live right before the Lord. And, and, and they just hadn't found a spouse yet. And they said, you know what? I'm tired of waiting on God. I'm going to take things into my own hands. It was tragic. That person's not serving the Lord today. You don't have to take things into your own hands. He can meet that need for you. If it's a financial need, a lot of the times the pressure, because, you know, everything's going up. Bills are going up and, and the cost of living is going up, but the wages are not going up. They're going down, as a matter of fact. And all the pressure, I got to provide, I got to pay my bills, I got I to gotta do this and I got to do that. And pretty soon we could take things into our own hands. And that could become something that begins to take our eyes away from God's presence. Father, today, 
I pray that you would draw us back to your heart. We acknowledge that you are our source. We come back to you today. Father, whether it's a whether we've backslidden and we're far away or we maybe just, just turned our heart around. Whatever it is, no matter how, how huge the gap is, today we come back to you. If that's you today, if that's you today and you would say, Oscar, you know what? I feel like I'm backslidden in my heart. I'm still going to church. I'm trying to do the right thing. But I feel like I'm far from God. I want you to come so that we can pray. You're not far from God. He speaks tenderly to you. All you have to do is turn your eyes to Him. All you have to do is turn to Him and behold the Son. If that's you, come. Maybe you're in this place and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're in this place and you're like, you know what? No matter how hard I try, I have no joy. I'm not happy. I have no peace. My friend, let me tell you, you'll never have peace until you let the Prince of Peace come into your heart. And his name is Jesus. If that's you and you would say, I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, I want you to lift your hand up. Lift your hand in this house. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Lift your hand. I'll say a prayer for you. Amen. Thank you. God sees that hand. God bless you. We love you, Lord. Father, we want to be Martha's and Mary's. We want to work hard, but Father, we want to sit at your feet. We want to live our lives with excellence, but Lord, we want to hear your holy words. Today, Father, we ask that you would bring us close to you again. And that we would feel your tangible presence and your pleasure in our senses, in our bodies. In Jesus' name, these altars are open. If you need special prayer, or if you're just saying, I just want prayer, I want to come back to God. Maybe you completely left God. Maybe you're completely backslidden. Today, I just want you to come to this altar like the prodigal son, and the Father runs to you today. The Father runs to you today. Maybe you've allowed things to come into your life to distract you from God. I want you to come to these altars. There's a river of grace. Don't worry about what people think. We're not here to judge. All of us, all of us, the Bible says, all of us have gone astray. Each of us has gone his own way. But God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. There is none perfect, none. So I want you to come, come, if that's you. In Jesus' name, amen.